Well, I do want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my honor and privilege to get to preach the gospel to you here this morning. Per usual, a few announcements, and then we're going to get into the gospel. Um, so um, you might recall that my, uh, a couple weeks ago, my co-pastor Aaron shared a very exciting announcement in that after 20 years of faithfully chipping away month by month, we are within striking distance of um, being able to pay off the mortgage for this building that we use each week um, for church. And so paying off debt is exciting, but uh, what excites me even more is the potential of opening up new resources for what God wants for his kingdom. So if we are able to do this, we would open, the up, open up $70,000 annually, which instead of going towards um, the mortgage, would go towards new kingdom endeavors, whatever Jesus would please uh, to have us do. And I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. I would much rather have my contribution go towards that than um, paying more interest that we don't get back. And so uh, we're hopeful to begin 2024 by paying off this building completely which should be exciting. So we want you um, to consider, if you'd prayerfully consider your financial contribution towards this church, it doesn't have to be anything different. There's no special fund we're doing. It's just anything you give, we'll go towards that. And it seems within striking distance, if we get enough, we'll pay it off. Maybe we'll have some kind of party. I don't know. We'll see. It should be super fun. That's my first announcement. Two more will be our upcoming two Sundays. A week from now is Christmas Eve. Two weeks from now is New Year's Eve. Is that interesting how it worked out this year? Here's what's going on for Christmas Eve. Don't show up in the morning. The building will be locked. Nothing's happening in the morning. Instead, we're going to gather in the evening. We're going to do a Christmas Eve candlelight service from 4 to 5 p.m. right in here. But you can show up before then. From 3 to 4, we're going to have that lobby open as a chance to be able to connect with others and experience community. And so come at 3 or any time before 4, we're going to have the coffee bar open. We're going to have snacks out. Christmas music will be going. And some people even like to take a photo here as at this like photo booth area. So that should be super fun. Don't come in the morning. Come in the evening. Um, there won't be any of the kids' classes as normal, but the nursery will be open so if you want to use that room or um, the mom's room or whatever, that is available. So 4 p.m. is when the service starts on Christmas Eve. New Year's Eve, we're back to the same schedule as normal. We're going to have a normal service start time here. It's going to be slightly different. We're going to devote the whole morning to prayer, which will be really an excellent way to bring in the new year. Um, we will have the kids' classes, so the kids are going to join us for the first part of prayer and then they'll go back to their classes. Maybe you're going to be out of town and you want to tune in. We won't have a live stream. Sorry about that. But what we will have is we'll have a resource online that is going to show what we're praying through so you can join us in spirit by praying along with us from wherever you're at. So those are announcements. Paying off the building. Christmas Eve is going to be great. And then New Year's Eve. So with that, you'll recall that we're in a Christmas series entitled Hope for the Holiday Blues. I don't know if we have that up here. You guys could pull that up, put it on the screen if you like. Hope for the Holiday Blues. And we recognize that for many of us, Christmas isn't always um, necessarily the most exciting time. It can be rather challenging. 
And so we've addressed topics such as loss, how to apply a biblical lament to the losses in our life, depression, loneliness, um, bitterness, and also then last week, rampant consumerism. What do we do about all the gift giving, the pressure to shop? And I think we've learned that gift cards are perhaps terrible, but even more shocking than terrible gift cards is the exchange God offers us that we give him all of our mess, we give him all of our anxieties, all of our sin, and he gives us peace, rest, forgiveness, and eternal life. Um, Today, we are going to talk about the topic of messy family relationships. Messy family relationships. With the upcoming holiday, it's kind of the cultural norm to see family, at least in this part of the world for Christmas. It's a very common thing. And um, it's hard to even imagine having Christmas without seeing family for many people. We know this intuitively, but a study proved it nonetheless. I look at a study they did from 2020. It was Thanksgiving of 2020. And obviously you remember what happened then, early in the pandemic. People weren't seeing each other as much. The conclusion of this study that they did was that people who experienced um, a happier Thanksgiving were people who felt most connected with other people. Maybe we kind of already know that you're happier if you're with other people, or as Dr. Seuss says, no one should be alone for Christmas. That said, many of us also experience simultaneously stress when we think about spending time with family. Even if we're excited, even if we have great family relationships, it can be rather stressful. For some, it's the idea that we're going to spend time with people that we really hardly know. We have very shallow relationship with them. And we get worried thinking, how am I going to spend hours talking to this person that I don't know at all? How am I going to be, how am I going to make it through? The average amount of time this year Americans will spend with their family before they need to jet out or go spend time on their phone, three hours and 54 minutes. It's challenging to spend a long time with people that we perhaps hardly know. For others, the holidays brings us in contact with people with drastically different views than our own. Uh, This study showed the four topics that Americans are least excited to talk about for the holidays 2023. Are you ready for them? Here we go. We'll do them in order. Number one, 2024 election. Number two, Trump. Number three, Family gossip and drama. Number four, Biden. (laughs) Now, while this is comical in this setting, it's no laughing matter when families literally divide viciously over these topics, especially political issues, um, in ways that are extremely damaging, extremely painful. Finally, for others, the holidays brings us in contact with people that we would rather not spend time with, people with toxic behaviors or with patterns that have hurt us more than anyone else in our lives. It takes wisdom to determine how to engage when heavy alcohol is involved. It takes wisdom to know how to engage, if at all, when abuse is present or when there's long-standing feuds in the family. This year, one out of five Americans 
are going to avoid seeing family altogether to avoid drama. Within Gen Z, one out of three Gen Zers are going to decide to spend time with found family of friends instead of with family, all for the same reason, to avoid this drama, toxic behaviors, political issues, divides, and all that kind of stuff. And the family challenges we experience at the holidays usually aren't limited just to Christmas time, but they usually pervade the rest of the year. So here's what we're going to do. To address the challenge of messy families, we're going to look to God's word, we're going to look at the gospel, and look for some instruction for each one of us to consider this holiday season. Here's specifically where I'm going. Uh, We're going to see that Jesus is not afraid of messy relationships. He's not afraid of messy family. And so we're going to unpack the storyline of Jesus' interaction with family. That's going to be our backbone today. Follow the story. And along the way, we're going to glean instruction and hope from what he did. So let's start praying. And then uh, we're going to start um, by reading in Matthew chapter 1 with a famous Christmas passage. So how about you bow your heads with me and let's pray over this topic. Jesus, we do need your help so much. We need it today to hear from you. We're going to need it in the upcoming weeks as we spend time in challenging settings for us. I pray that you would speak through me, through your word today, that Holy Spirit, you would bring things to light that would be instructional and hopeful for each one of us individually. Jesus, may you be magnified. May we be more in love with you at the end of this than we are right now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, grab that Bible. We're going to be on page 807, and we're going to start in Matthew 1, starting in verse 18. If you're using the Bible in front of you, you'll get confused. There's no page number for this one because it's the first page in the New Testament. So look at the page before and after it, and you'll find page 807. Matthew chapter 1, a uh, very familiar Christmas passage we'll begin with. Beginning in verse verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold... An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what God had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Today, I'm going to frame the instruction based on four instructions we're going to see. So for those of you taking notes, you're looking for the number four. Uh, Here's the first point we're going to unpack here. Show up, be present, despite the mess. Show up, be present, 
I love the way that Matthew starts his Christmas story here. Perhaps even specifically in contrast to the way Luke does. This reminds me of a great start to a movie. You know those ones, you get no context and you just jump straight into the action, straight into the drama. You're trying to figure out what's going on. Maybe there's something dramatic, life-threatening involved, and you're trying to figure out what is happening here. That's exactly what Matthew does here as he shows up with lots of drama. There's something very dramatic happening here. In this culture, it was a conservative culture, it would be extremely extremely shameful to one's family if one were to have sexual intercourse before marriage. And so to be pregnant before married would be not just looked down upon, it would be shameful. Matthew doesn't tell us what's going on. He just jumps straight to this thing. We're supposed to be in the shoes of the public or in the shoes of Joseph like, what is going on here? How is she pregnant? We haven't even got married yet. Whereas you remember in Luke, Luke starts with an angel showing up to Mary. And the angel tells Mary, hey, you're going to be the mother of the Christ and um, by the Holy Spirit. Matthew didn't start that way. He starts with the drama. He starts with the mess. And that's how this would have felt. It would have felt like a messy situation But lest we think that it only begins in mess, it begins with perceived shame at the birth of Jesus, this shame continued on in his life. It wasn't just limited to this time. You might remember this in John chapter 8, Jesus, an adult now, is debating with his religious opponents, and this is what it says. Jesus, you are doing the works your father did. The Jews respond to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, but I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Wow, really? 30 years later, they're still talking about this? Oh my goodness. And there wasn't even anything shameful from the beginning. It's just a perceived shame. But still, decades later, they're still talking about the same shameful drama of this seemingly immoral birth. Jesus Christ came into the world clean. He claimed to wash us, but he got dirty in the process. The mess splashed up on him as well, and he received undeserved shame. But not only his birth, not only in his ministry, but even actually... His genealogy is kind of shrouded with family messiness. I don't know if you've noticed this before. It's on the same page if you have your Bible open. I won't read all the names. That would be uh, pretty impressive to do. Uh, But not for today. Uh, Matthew 1, the very beginning. I'm just highlighting a few things um, that stand out here. Nowadays, people who do genealogies tend to do it kind of as a hobby. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, I kind of got into genealogies, and I like to find my family roots. But in Jesus' day, it wasn't a hobby. No, your genealogy was your resume. It was your social standing. It was what you were proud of. I come from this line of people. And it was so important that it was not uncommon for people to edit 
their genealogies, to erase certain names of people who had shameful associations, so that you could present yourself as with a more pure pedigree, because social standing was very important in this culture, much more than it is today. But even though that was common, I love the fact that Jesus, and through the Holy Spirit-inspired author Matthew, does not erase messy details from the genealogy. In fact, it's the opposite. Matthew goes out of his way to add the messy details to make a point for us. And so the genealogy of Jesus, it begins with Abraham. That's important. It goes to David. It goes to the exile of the people of Israel and finally ends with Jesus. And so it includes important things. Jesus is the seed of Abraham. Jesus is the lion of Judah. Jesus is the son of David. Important, weighty, amazing things. But Matthew goes out of his way because in this time period, women were not included in genealogies. It was only the men. And so Matthew intentionally adds these names of these women. Not to bring shame to them, it was actually the men who were really at fault here, but to make a point about Jesus. So you'll notice these three names that I have highlighted up there in the genealogy of Jesus. Tamar, Rahab, the wife of Uriah. Each is shockingly messy. And I'm actually not even allowed to talk about it at church. What happened there? But I'll just summarize it without going into the detail. In these relationships in Jesus' genealogy included things such as incest, prostitution, and forced adultery. Messy things. Why does Matthew purposely go out of his way to include these names alluding to certain events? I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to know that Jesus was willing to come into the messy. He was willing to show up and be present despite the mess. He didn't edit his genealogy. He came right in to the mess that he came to clean. So, trying to make this practical here today. So step away from the text. Let's talk about us. Let's talk about our upcoming gatherings, our upcoming Christmases. Like Jesus, how can you show up and be present for an upcoming family gathering? Despite the messiness. Showing up to a family gathering is half of it. Just showing up. Like I said, some of you shouldn't show up. You should get advice. If there's certain dynamics involved, get advice from people around you. But just showing up is half of the battle. Just showing up, being there, being present, having the same memory with other people. But the step above that is to come and be present in heart. To have your full heart and your full attention with the people you're going to spend time with. It's so easy, like I said, to end up jetting out, checking our phones, wanting to go do something else, or just think showing up is the goal. But what if we consider ways that we can come in prayerfully for our family gatherings? If we can think of it ahead of time, we can come with questions to ask people that we love. We can come um, ready to envision our kids for what it looks like to love our fellow family. If we come ready to show attention and care to people that we hardly spend time with, I think that could be a profound 
way that we could follow the example of Jesus. So what can you do to show up and be present for family despite the messiness uh, like Jesus did? So let's continue with the story. I love seeing where this story goes. Uh, The story of Jesus' interaction with family to glean another bit of instruction. Our next one is to demonstrate your higher family allegiance. But if we're going to understand Jesus' interaction with his earthly family, we should probably get to know them, right? So I have a question for you guys. I heard during the summer some of you adults were a little sad that you never got a chance to win a prize. The kids (laughs) did. I want to give this a chance for you guys. So here's my prize. I've got Celestial Seasonings, Candy Cane Lane. It's made right down the road here. And um, my que- I promise this is not a trick question. This is a legit question. Um, my question is this. How many people were in Jesus' earthly family? And maybe for the sake of order, we will raise hands. Not, not many people are responding right away. And it's okay if you get it wrong. This is just kind of fun, and we're getting to know the story. Yeah, Amy? Okay. We don't know. Yeah, okay. That might be the best answer, and if it is, I'll give this to you. Um, but let's see, let me do maybe two more answers. Off the top of my head, I can think of four. Mary, Joseph, two brothers. Okay. Mary, Joseph, two brothers, I guess. Okay. That's a good guess. How about one more? Yep. Six. Okay. I'm going to go higher. Amy, I'm going to give this to you. Um, but let me do this first here. Here's where we know it from. Matthew 13, 55 through 56. This is while Jesus is an adult. And people in his town are kind of like looking down on him. And he's saying, is this not the carpenter's son? As refers to Joseph. Is this not his mother, Mary? And are not his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Okay, so there you go. You got parents. That's two. Jesus, three. How many brothers? Four brothers. That brings us up to seven. And then how many sisters? All is, yep. Someone said two. We know it's plural. The author, Matthew, chose the word all instead of the word both. He chose the word, um, he could have used the word pas. He used the word kai which I think means that it was more than two. So I think at minimum, Jesus had three sisters. So this is what it looks like. The family tree of Jesus in earthly terms. Mary, Joseph, Jesus, James is the second born. So he's like the first born besides Jesus, if you want to think of it that way. Uh, Joseph, who is also called Joseph. Simon, uh, Judas, who is also called Jude. Sister one, sister two, sister three, and then maybe more sisters. I don't know. So I'll put it this. Minimum, Jesus came from a family of 10. How many of you guys think that's a big family? Yeah, kind of a big family. Yep. Well, Amy, thank you for your courage. And so let me give this to you. Okay. So that was kind of fun, but it helps us where we're going. So Jesus comes from a family of at least 10 in terms of earthly um, earthly terms. Let's see how Jesus interacted with these 
Um, and we're going to start with his brothers, with James and the brothers. We're going to go to John 7 and see his interaction with them. John 7, I'm going to start reading stuff you can't see on the screen, and then it'll catch up. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here, excuse me, and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be openly known. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus' brothers are mocking Jesus here. They don't believe he's the Messiah. They don't believe he's the Son of God. I love how one commentary put it. I read this this week. So real and genuine was Jesus' humanity, and so well hidden was his deity before he began his earthly ministry, that even those who had lived in the same house with him for nearly 30 years did not know who he was. Not even his brothers believed in him. They lived and ate and slept in the same rooms as the eternal son of God and did not know it. That is crazy. Jesus' brothers are mocking him. This must have hurt Jesus. I can imagine Jesus feeling ashamed of his brothers, James and the others. But nonetheless, Jesus lived to please the Father, not to gain the approval of his brothers. So he didn't follow their advice. He had God's instruction instead to keep his identity a little bit obscure before bringing it all to the world. But this is not the only messy family moment that Jesus had. You might recall the next one I'm going to show you. This one not only includes James and the brothers, it also includes Mary too. This is found in Mark chapter 3. Then Jesus went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat, meaning the, um, the disciples. And when Jesus' family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. Read the next part. You won't see the first part on the slide. And Jesus' mother and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and brothers are outside seeking you. And Jesus answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about those who sat around him, he said, here are my brothers, are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This time it's not only the brothers, but even Mary herself, who didn't have on her mind the things of God, but perhaps the things of man. It was a loving move. She heard that Jesus was too busy to eat. She's a caring mom. She wanted to stop Jesus from such radical devotion to God that would even cut into his time to eat. I can imagine this hurting Jesus to have this kind of opposition from his family. I can imagine Jesus inside that room feeling ashamed of his family, knocking at the door. Jesus demonstrates a higher family allegiance. 
He loves his family, but he has a higher family in mind. A family whose common denominator wasn't blood, but doing the will of God. And so both these interactions match the teaching that Jesus gave us here in, in Matthew chapter 10. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus made devotion to him be the dividing line. So let's zoom out. We're back to our Christmas here, 2023. Jesus demonstrated his higher family allegiance. How might you demonstrate your higher family allegiance at the upcoming family gathering? In case you didn't get it, what I mean is your devotion to God. God is your father, the family of God. Generally, when we get together for holidays, we interact with people with wildly different values than our own. And so there might be times where you need to draw a line and where you need to do something different. Consider when the conversation moves towards gossip, whether you need to excuse yourself from the conversation. Consider when certain topics or movies come up, when you'll choose to abstain. Consider times when the alcohol gets flowing, your witness of Christ in that moment and decide wisely how you're going to proceed. But not only that, maybe consider how you can show that God is your number one value, your number one priority. Oftentimes, family gatherings are essentially centered around food and watching a screen. How might you bring a higher priority? Maybe you could bring in the value of attending a Christmas Eve service. Perhaps you could do something unpopular and read the Christmas story to anyone in the family who wants to join in and remember the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. There are other ways you could do this, but how can you demonstrate a higher family allegiance that honoring God is the most important thing in your life during this upcoming holiday? All right, well, let's move on to the next part of the story, Jesus' interaction with family. You might be kind of wondering, how does this loop get closed with Mary? Are they okay? Did they talk about it? We're going to fast forward all the way to the very end of Jesus' earthly life. It's Good Friday. Jesus has been arrested. He's been falsely condemned. He's been beaten. He's been nailed and lifted up upon a cross. And we find ourselves in John 19. Our third point is express grace, extend grace, express love. John 19. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, the cross, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Simple and short, but I love, I love this moment. I so respect Jesus for this moment. Jesus is literally saving the world. He is in excruciating pain. He's struggling to breathe. 
He's extremely parched of thirst, and he's thinking about others. He's thinking about his mother. Jesus knows in this moment her vulnerability. Joseph, his father, has presumably passed away at this point. And he knows that his mother will be rather vulnerable in this society if she doesn't have either the husband or the firstborn son to take her under their roof. And so even while Jesus is panting for breath, while he's in immense pain, he looks at her and he sees his disciple, John, the disciple that he loved. And instead of calling for James, the firstborn son from his his earthly family, he calls on John to take his mother into his home and to treat her like his own mother, to provide for her, to care for her, to protect her, to allow her life to flourish. And in this moment, Jesus extends grace. We can tell that that moment where Mary had opposed him, that they were good. Jesus extended grace, and even in this moment of excruciating pain, Jesus is loving. He's loving in profound levels. So extend grace, express love. How might you do that this upcoming holiday? How could you extend grace and express love to smaller degrees than what Jesus did? It could be on small levels. It might just be being patient with people who are hard to be around. It could be larger. Sometimes family have hurts that go back decades. Family feuds that are unspoken of or spoken of all the time. We talked earlier about the parable of the man who had been forgiven a great debt and yet didn't forgive the smaller debt. Jesus' command for his disciples is that we forgive those who have hurt us. He commands us to love our enemies. It's not an option not to forgive, no matter the crime. Forgiveness can be a process. It doesn't happen immediately, especially for deeper hurts. But every follower of Jesus must be committed to a trajectory of forgiveness, to go through the work to be able to release the harm, the wrongs, the injustices that they've experienced. And so I want you to consider, are you on that journey? Is there a forgiveness you need to pursue? Might not happen overnight. It might take a long time for you pursue that. On a lighter note, for some people we spend time with, our relationships are just kind of, they're kind of weak. They've grown weak. They've grown stale over time. Consider the wisdom of the Proverbs. Proverbs 18.16 says that we should... Um, When we give a gift, it opens the door for us of relationship with somebody. Consumerism is not the band-aid for our family problems, but sometimes giving a gift can open the door. A little generosity can stoke the flame of a relationship and to start a conversation. So consider how could you extend grace? How can you express love in your upcoming family gathering? So with that, let's, let's conclude the storyline of Jesus and family with one final instruction, and it's this. Enter the family of God. We're going to use Jesus' interaction with James specifically, his brother, along the way. 
Remember how Jesus treated James. Jesus still showed up despite the messiness of a family that opposed him. He, he still showed his higher allegiance even when they pressured him not to. Jesus didn't stop being gracious and loving towards James. Jesus could have called fire down from heaven on his heathen of a brother, but he didn't. He was patient and gracious and loving. And so we last left off in the story with Jesus on the cross providing for his mother. Moments later, Jesus died. He, the innocent, was put to death for us, the guilty. He, the Son of God, was punished for the sins of man. This moment was the ultimate reason why Jesus became a human. The, the miraculous incarnation we celebrate every Christmas, it had its fulfillment, its ultimate expression in this moment right here where Jesus became like us so that he could be a sacrifice for our sins and to bring us into his family. Like it says in the book of Hebrews, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect, meaning he had to be fully human, just like us, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Remember, Jesus was so fully human that James thought Jesus was crazy to claim to be Messiah. But we know that Jesus was more than a man. And it was at the cross where only someone who is fully man and fully God could pay the titanic sin debt that we owe to God. This is the effect of what Jesus did. He made it so that we don't have to be ashamed. He's not ashamed of us anymore. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Or as Travis shared last week on the topic of adoption, to those who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So what's the rest of the story with James? James entered the family of God. How do we know that? It says it here, 1 Corinthians 15. It's talking about what happened after Christ died. On the third day, he rose, just like it was prophesied in the scriptures. He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Then he appeared to James. And I believe this is the moment when James crossed from death to life. He went from being an antagonist of Jesus, an unbeliever, you could say, to something different, to something more. He was more than the brother of Jesus. He entered the family of God. And so, as you read on in the story, um, after Jesus then ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1, James is there with the disciples and Mary praying in the upper room. James is there throughout the early church history in Jerusalem. He's a prominent leader, making important decisions, advancing the cause of the church. And he even wrote a letter, one we studied not too long ago, with a fascinating first line, which is very instructional. He wrote these words in his epistle we call James. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
James doesn't begin his letter by saying, James, brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because James had entered the family of God. And what was most important was that Jesus was his king, that God was his father. So how about you? Have you entered the family of God? It's okay if your life is messy. Actually, Jesus only welcomes people who are a hot mess. He only welcomes people who admit, I am a total wreck. My life is a total mess. I'm not good at being a Christian. I need a savior. Jesus is looking for people like that. He's willing to offer to forgive all the sin debt, all that you've done now and all that is yet to happen in your life. He will forgive it in a moment because of what he did on the cross. Not just some of your massive debt, not just most of your massive sin debt, all of it. But even more than that, he welcomes you into the family that you've always wanted, the best family ever, a family in which you have a father who loves you perfectly, a father that knows you and understands you and is involved in your life. You also get the best older brother ever, Jesus, who's your protector, your older brother, your savior, but he's also not ashamed to have you as a sibling. He's proud of you. He likes to spend time with you. But he's not your only sibling. You're joined by a multitude. If you thought Jesus' family was large, wait till you hear about this one. Oh my goodness. We will be joined by siblings from all the nations. Throughout all of history, multitudes upon multitudes of amazing people. Can you imagine the rich gatherings we're going to have together as a family? The different foods we're going to eat the conversations we're going to have, every relationship, amazingly perfect. Imagine what that will be like. A family that has a reputation for really good relationship. A family in which every single sibling, including you, are destined to love just like Jesus. More and more as time goes on. That sounds amazing. And here's the good news how it applies now. What I just described, this hope of a better family, is the best fuel that you've got for loving your earthly family, your messy earthly family, this next week. When you remember that that's your eternity, when you remember what Christ has done for you, it gives you the power to love, to extend grace, and to be patient with a messy family. So I encourage you, if you haven't, enter the family of God. Admit you're a mess, receive forgiveness, let Jesus' loving death cover all your debt, and today enter into this amazing family of God. And if you wonder about that, how about, let's talk afterwards. Talk with the person next to you, or I'll be somewhere here, let's talk about that. But Ben, how about you come back up, and I'm going to have us do this, I think this is important. We had a moment here, God spoke something to you but you might forget it. And so here's what I'm going to have you do. I want you to discuss what, which one of these stood out. What are you going to do in response to today with the person next to you? Group two, three, four, maybe. 
and just give a moment to share an idea of how you can take what we heard from the life of Jesus and incarnate it into your messy family.